Hey everyone, welcome to the Cultivate Podcast. This is Charlie Lofton, uh, the lead pastor at the Grove Church. I'm really glad that you have joined us. And right now we're in the middle of a series called Panorama of the Bible, where we're kind of looking and walking through the, uh, the big picture story of the Bible, kind of understanding the Bible in chronological order. We've borrowed a lot of this material from Fellowship Bible Church Northwest Arkansas and Dr. Robert Cup. I first encountered this material, I don't almost almost 30 years ago, and it was incredible, just kind of really helping understand kind of just the story of the Bible, where all the different pieces fit in. Sometimes you can read the Old Testament, not sure exactly what's happening, where this fits into the story, especially when you get to uh, some of the poetry, when you get to the prophets, you're like, who is this? Where does this fit in? Because not everything there is in chronological order really more in um, genre order in the Old Testament, so it can be a little confusing. And to have kind of a template to kind of help us understand kind of the big picture story of the Bible helps us understand where, like whatever particular story or passage I'm reading, kind of where it fits in into the story, which can just kind of help us better understand the story, but also the Bible in general. And so this is part six. And so if you're just joining us now with this one, I would encourage you to go back and make sure that you have listened to the first five. Ultimately, there's going to be 12 parts to this. And so I would encourage you to, um, to go back and listen to make sure you understand the kind of this full story of the Bible. And it starts with Genesis 1 to 11, which we call the prologue, which kind of intros the story. The, the heart of the story really starts in Genesis chapter 12, part two with, with Abraham. But this is kind of a general intro. It lets us know who God is, who is obviously the main character of this whole story, this good, compassionate, gracious, creative God, and we learn about who he is, and we see his creation, especially people who tend to rebel, who tend to reject the goodness of God too often, and we see this compassionate, gracious God always looking to restore and redeem his people back to him, which kind of sets up the main conflict for the scripture. The the whole big picture story of the Bible is about this good, gracious, compassionate God redeeming and restoring the world and individual people, groups of people back to himself. And so we see the first part of this plan in Genesis chapter 12, part two, the patriarchs, where we see the beginning of God calling the Jewish people to be his chosen people. And rather than choosing people like he looks at all the different groups of people and chooses his favorite, he takes one man and says, I'm going to create my people through you. I'm going to turn you into a people. You're not a people. You are one person. You are one person with a wife. And I'm going to turn you into my people so that the world then can see what it would look like for God to have a people, to experience the blessing and love that comes from being God's chosen people. So we see this covenant um, being made to Abraham that he's going to bless him and through him, the whole world's going to be blessed. And this covenant passes from... Abraham to his son, Isaac. And from Isaac, he has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And this blessing passes to Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons who then ultimately become the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these 12 tribes, then ultimately these 12 kind of these mini patriarchs, if you will, who kind of ultimately become the heads of these large clans that ultimately becomes the nation of Israel. And we see that that takes us all the way from Genesis chapter 12 to the end of Genesis. But uh, the end of this story um, starts, ends with the Joseph story with them in Egypt 
And rather than continuing to trust God and stay in the land that God has promised, they are now living in Egypt and they are with, you know, they are, they're choosing to rely completely on Egypt, living in Egypt, not living according to what God has called them to, where he's called them to. And ultimately it causes some serious problems for them when they become so big and prosperous that the Egyptians enslave them. And they're enslaved for 400 years when God brings out, calls out Moses to save them and take them back to the promised land, which is part three, redemption and wandering. The story of Moses, he comes and asks Pharaoh to let his people go. You see the 10 plagues, the releasing of them finally, um, them getting stuck at the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea and wipes out the Egyptian army. See their journey then to Mount Sinai, where the covenant is kind of that between God and his people is ratified. We see the giving of the law, the, the Ten Commandments, and then they work their way towards the promised land. But rather than trusting God to, to give them this land that he's promised them, they choose fear and choose to reject God. And, and ultimately, God punishes them and says, okay, any, anybody who didn't think this was a good idea is going to have to die. And we'll let the next generation have their shot. So for 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness until all of the adults who rejected God at that moment are, are gone. So that's part three, redemption and wandering, which ends with them back in the promised land after the 40 years. Moses, has, Moses gets to see the promised land, but is not allowed to take them in because separate from the rejection of going in, Moses sins in a very public way against God and is not allowed to go into the promised land, but he allows him to see it, and then he dies, which leads us to part four, the conquest, which is the book of Joshua. And it's the story of Joshua and him leading God's people, taking over for Moses, leading God's people to take over the promised land. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of wars, a lot of battles, a lot of moments of trusting God and we not really believe God is the God who is going to give us all of this. And it can be a little bit bloody. It can be a little bit unsettling sometimes. But I encourage you to go back and listen to the, that, that session if you have not. You will see in it, though, how and how long it took them to get there and do this. We see the grace and patience of God, hoping that these people will repent from their rebellion against God and choose to be a part of God's people. So we get all the way through the book of Joshua and they are supposed to conquer this entire land that God has promised, but they fall short and allow people who worship idols to kind of live amongst them, which God says, if you do that, will be a problem for you, which then leads us to part five. Uh, we're looking at the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we see that that, the, that that problem happens just like God said it would. These people who are worshiping false idols, these idols, it becomes a trap for God's people. And we see in what some people call the sin cycle, the redemption cycle, just the cycle of judges. Maybe, just, maybe it's just the life cycle. Maybe it's just kind of the way it is where they would be in a good spot, prosperous, but then they would turn away from God. And as they turned away from God to idols, they would be punished. Um, a, 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 you know, and a foreign oppressor would come and enslave them or oppress them in some way. Then ultimately they would repent God would bring up a deliverer and would ultimately be redeemed. And we see this cycle on repeat, on repeat, over and over again through um, the book of Judges. We talked about some really interesting, cool, if not gory stories that you will find in the book of Judges. 
And then the next book, Ruth, which we we'll kind of put in that same time, it happens during the same time period as the book of as the book of Judges. We get the story of Ruth that comes in there, where God just really uses this this woman who is not Jewish but is joined into the Jewish community. That God uses her in a really significant way to save her family, and ultimately becomes the great grandma of who is going to become one of the most important people in early Jewish history, which is King David. So we work our way through those books, through these first five um, sections. We get, we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Now we move into further into the history books. And our next books are 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And during these, we're going to keep working our way through kind of the early history of of the Jewish people. So during the the judges section, they did not have a king. They had they had they had no king. They were essentially ruled by God and God would raise up various prophets or judges to kind of speak and intervene on his behalf. And when we get into 1 Samuel, we get introduced to this um this guy uh Eli who was one of the who was who was a priest that is operating on God's behalf and then ultimately he ends up with a ward, a guy named Samuel, who God raises up to be one of the greatest prophets of in history. And so, you know, he's obviously a big deal. He's got he's got two books named after him. And we we get to we get to hear his story. And Samuel is kind of acting. I mean, he's not a king, he's not the ruler. He's just kind of really acting as God's primary intermediary for all of God's people as, as a priest and a prophet. And it is during this time that the Jewish people say, we want a king. We want a king. We are tired of not looking like every other nation, and we want to be ruled by a king the way that everyone is. And Samuel is absolutely grieved and devastated by this. And God kind of looks at him and is like, man, what, what, why, why are you upset about this? There's anybody, they're not rejecting you. This is a rejection of me. And essentially, God says to them, I can give this thing to you, but you don't understand what it means. It may look good. You may look like everybody else. But if you have a king, he's going to be drafting you into his army. He's going to be taxing you. He's going to enslave. He's going to do all of these things to you. You do not want this. Yes, we do. We want to have a king. We want to look like everybody else. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you grew up in youth group or not, but bro, that just screams youth group story, right? Of, of a group of people supposedly who are God's people who look around and say, I want to look and I want to look like everybody else. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I mean, if that, I mean, you, you got, you got, that's got to be, in, if, you, if you're a youth pastor, that story's got to be in your rotation. And then God says, you don't want to look like the world. You want to be a follower of me. But if you look like the world, there's bad things that are going to happen. And they said, we don't care about that. We we want to fit in, man. I'm 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 about ready to give the youth pastor message right now, but I got to keep going. We're just there's a history. This is a history lesson, not a youth pastor don't do drugs message, right? So, so God says, I will give you what you want, and Samuel gives him the message. Okay, if this is what you want, this is what we'll do. So now so this kind of sets up this kind of this sixth session, which is the kingship united monarchy. So this is now. Uh, the Israelites people are now going to have a king and they're going to be united by one king. Our next section kind of to get you ahead, eventually this kingdom of Israel is going to be split into two kingdoms 
and the history will follow there with two different kingdoms. So that will be the divided monarchy. But for right now, during this section, where we, we, we simply have one king who rules over the entire nation of Israel. And so the transition happens from Samuel, and God picks out for um, the Israelites' people this guy who looks the part. He's taller than everybody else. He's really good looking, and his name is Saul. And so God has Samuel anoint Saul to be the king of Israel. He's tall, he's good looking, and God, his spirit comes upon him in a really significant way where he's able to lead the people in battle and ultimately is able to gain the necessary affection and popularity amongst the people where they support him and agree, and he is appointed and made king over Israel. And then, as God said, this, what all the things that happen, happen. He starts drafting people into the army. He starts levying hard, harsh taxes against them. By and large, at least for a season, um, Saul is listening to Samuel. He's following God and things are going okay. But there comes a moment, it's kind of this real defining moment in the life of Saul where they are, they're in battle And before they go into battle, they know that they need God with them. And so they're going to have to, they want to offer a sacrifice to God in order for them to prevail and have victory in this battle. But they need Samuel, the priest, to do it. Samuel won't come, Samuel won't come, he won't come, he won't come. Finally, he just, he gets impatient and makes the sacrifice himself instead of waiting for Samuel. And just, and again, as if it was a made-for-TV movie, almost immediately, that's when Samuel shows up. And and Samuel's like, what on earth did you do? He's like, well, somebody had to do it, and you didn't show up. He's like, man, this is not who you are. You have dishonored God and everybody, and now you are no longer going to be king of Israel. And and Saul is totally, um, you know, he's wigged out by this, and he grabs a hold of Samuel's robe and tears it. And says, man, just like you tore my robe, the kingdom has been torn from you. You will be the last person from your family line that gets to be the king. From here on out, um, it will be given to another family. And um, this now we're going to get, you may not be that familiar with Saul. Uh, now we're going to get to the probably the most familiar of all of the kings. So God comes to Samuel and says, I'm going to pick somebody else for you. And in fact, pick somebody fairly different from, from, from Saul. Ultimately, we find out that David is a pretty good looking guy, but he goes to, God says, I'm going to show you the family. He takes him to this family this dad named Jesse, and Samuel comes to him and says, man, I need to meet your sons because God's got a special plan for one of them. And, and Jesse brings out all of his sons except one, and Samuel looks at all and says, hey, it's none of these. You sure you don't have another son? It's, well, I, got, I got my little one, but he, he, he I, why would I bring him? He's like with the sheep. And, um, and Samuel says, go get him, and he's the one, which is really interesting. Again, these, these, these little hints that you get, these little glimpses into the, the character of God that the one that God chose was the one who was so insignificant that not even his father thought he was worth anything. That he's like, if something important is going to happen to one of my sons, it's going to be one of these seven guys, not to David. He's not even worth calling in from the pastor that that's the one that God chose. And so God chose him then to become the second king of Israel. But Saul is still alive and is still the king. And so now we've got this really interesting section of, of the story where David has been anointed to be the new king of Israel. And there are pockets in which this is known. There's pockets where it's not. 
But he is also now, he comes through some really interesting circumstances, becomes in the service of, of the current king, Saul. And Saul is incredibly jealous of him, very upset about him. But we also get in here the David and Goliath story, where David, before he's king, kills Goliath. You may be familiar with that story, killing the giant. And that's how he kind of comes into favor with, with, with Saul and begins to work for him. But then because God's hand is more with David than with Saul, he becomes this incredible war hero and is eclipsing what Saul is able to accomplish as king. So jealousy really begins to set in. And then Saul, he figures out that this guy is supposed to be the one that's going to become king. And he gets really frustrated, gets really angry and begins to try to kill David. So David spends a lot of years on the run from hiding from Saul. And so you get some really interesting ups and downs, ins and outs of that story where David has a couple of opportunities to kill Saul, but won't because he's like, this is my king. This is the one that God appointed a king. I'm not going to harm him in any way. It'd be terrible to even consider that. And, and you know, Saul repenting, saying, hey, David, we can be bros again. And then two minutes later, wants to kill him again. It's a really interesting kind of dramatic story. And ultimately, Saul is killed in a battle. I mean, it's, I guess I didn't, not, not technically kill. He is, he is wounded in a battle, but doesn't want to be captured or be humiliated in some way. And so he asks his, his you know, he, he asks his, his, his little right-hand man to kill him. It's kind of, it's kind of weird, but ultimately we'll just say it in a very simple way that Saul dies in battle. And so now is an opportunity for um, David to become the king. But as these things go, I mean, God can say whatever he wants and Samuel can, uh, you know, take a goat horn and, and anoint anybody that he wants to, but really do the people support this. And so, as you would imagine in any sort of, you know, story, historical story about kings, there's a, there's, there is an internal political struggle between one of the sons of Saul becoming king versus whether or not David's going to be king. So again, you've got a very dramatic story about where there's, you know, there's some, some division, but ultimately after some time, David is able to reunite the kingdom and be the second king of all of Israel. And the, the story of David is very up and down, very uneven. He's described very often as a, as a man who's after God's heart. He wrote most of the Psalms. So again, to kind of make sure we're putting everything in its historical context, you know, you got, you got, the, you got, you got Psalms in there. And where a lot of that was written by David, which is going to happen during this time, during the United Monarchy. We got the story of David and Bathsheba in there where David, instead of going out to war with his troops like kings are supposed to, he stays home, uh, uh, you know, brings in Bathsheba to his house to have sex with her, which is a really, really uncomfortable story, especially through modern lenses. I mean, like the king sees some woman he finds attractive and sends the guards in to tell her to come to the house. I mean, she had no choice in that, brings her into his home to have sex with her. Again, a place where she wouldn't have any choice. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have considered it rape, but by, by, by our definitions, we would. I mean, she didn't have any real agency, and it's really uncomfortable. And things really begin to turn for David and his kingdom here at this point. And we begin to see and notice, I, we kind of get this thread all throughout here of David really, I mean, he has multiple wives. Again, it was a very normal king thing to do, but it's not a very godly thing to do. And people will say all the time, it's like, well, the Bible's, you know, Bible doesn't really condemn polygamy. Well, it doesn't say it as explicitly as maybe you you would. 
But every time it happens, it's terrible. And every time it happens, every time he does it, it works out terribly for him. And it ultimately becomes a thing, one of the things that destroys his kingdom. Um, the way the sons of different mothers begin to fight with one another, the political intrigue and battle that comes from that. And a lot of this kind of, one of its key starting points is this David and Bathsheba story. And, um, and so then he has several sons. And again, the story gets really weird and really dramatic again, where one, uh, one daughter from that has one mom is raped by her half brother and David really won't do anything about it. And then another brother who was the full brother to the, to the, to the daughter that got raped, he gets really mad, starts this rebellion. He, you know, David has to run for his life for a little bit because his son temporarily takes over while David's alive. But then David is able to come back into power. And it's just, it's, it really is. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rated R again, perfectly designed kind of movie, crazy kind of plot that, that happens here. And it's really intriguing. And again, you're just seeing the, in part, the downfall of David and his reign based on his own promiscuity, his taking of multiple wives and the political and personal and family division that comes from that. His lack of ability as a great husband and as a great dad is the thing that undoes his kingdom, which again, this is a time for another day, but is always kind of interspersed with you see it in Psalms. You see the way that God describes David as being someone who's after his heart, that even though he is in some ways very morally dubious, he has a great passion and love for God. And for some people, you would call that a hypocrite. Okay, makes sense. But also you just see this overwhelming theme that happens cover to cover through the Bible is God using very flawed instruments, which again, can lead us one of two places. One, to really judge the flawed instrument that we come encounter with or to recognize what good news that is for us being incredibly flawed instruments ourselves. So you've got Saul and then David. And then after David's death, we find ourselves again with political intrigue, multiple sons from multiple families battling out to who gets to be king. And ultimately Solomon becomes the king. That is the one that David picked to be the king. There's some battles and some things that happen, but ultimately Solomon is able to unify the kingdom again and be the third king of a unified monarchy there in Israel. And spoiler alert, to get to the next one, this is the, he is the third and final king of a unified Israel. So we have Saul, we have David, and we have Solomon. And if, and if David had a problem with promiscuity and multiple wives by having six or seven different wives, a handful of concubines, I mean, the number for Solomon was in the hundreds is what that it says. And I just can't even put my mind around saying that someone has 500 wives and concubines. I mean, I mean, it's like, you just think, wh where did he sleep at night? And what did he do? And, and like, he's got more wives than there are days in a year. And it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. And what's really crazy about it, and I'm going to get really distracted here. And again, especially since we're just supposed to be kind of doing an overview of history. I mean, he wrote Song of Solomon, which is like this really incredibly powerful love story. So even he, who was living this life that was just incredibly morally terrible, he understood and experienced what real love was supposed to be, but still just had this insane moral flaw that he took from his dad and just multiplied. And so we see this thread happen where now he's bringing in wives from other countries who worship different gods. And now idolatry is starting to creep into the kingdom. He's got the same issue that his dad had multiple, multiple kids with multiple moms, just a lot of internal division, terrible dad, and we will see this kingdom be split 
immediately after his death, but we will save that story for the end. And so we can we learn a lot about uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. So I encourage you as you're reading Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, the the primary people that those books are going to be about are those three guys. We will stay in those books as we continue to, um, as the kingdom splits. But so where we are right now, make sure we are in Chronicles. We've made it all the way through both Samuels. And now we are in the middle of Kings and Chronicles. And I feel like I need to give this to you is that Kings and Chronicles really tell the same stories, but from different perspectives. And for simplicity, the, the story of Samuel and Kings really does make the fall of this united monarchy around the sexual sin of David and then Solomon. Chronicles really doesn't mention those, those, that, that part of it as all, at all, but really focuses on the fact that David and Solomon had a very conquest, wealth, and power mentality as opposed to a, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of trust and love and devotion to God, but really more about the acquisition of wealth and power which David does some, and then Solomon just multiplies in a significant way. Most notably in the building of the temple, which is a really cool deal that Solomon builds God this temple, which is maybe like one twentieth of the size of the palace that he built for himself. And so that is, this, that is the take that Chronicles tends to have. And he's like, well, which one is it? It is clearly and obviously both. They're both in the Bible. They're both incredibly true, but give us both two different perspectives on the same story about the, the internal things that can bring a person, a family, a culture, a monarchy down, um, the, the sexual sin, the immorality, and then plus this, this power grab, making it about you and your power, your wealth, as opposed to God. And so again, Samuel and Kings, those four books go together. That's kind of one telling of the story. And you get Chronicles, which starts a little bit later, doesn't give us so much as the as much about Saul, doesn't give us much about the stuff that leads to Saul, it really kind of more jumps into the David story. But um, again, Chronicles, so will retell a lot of those same stories. So if you find yourself, you're just kind of reading the Bible cover to cover and you make it through Kings, you come back to Chronicles and you're like, I think I read this before. You're not crazy. You have read it before. And so to make sure we understand the timeline as we get to this section, part six, Samuel, Kings, Kings slash Chronicles, which are essentially kind of the same, um, which will then, we'll stay with those as we get to the next sections. And now you get to some of these literature books. Proverbs was written by Solomon. Most of Psalms was written by David. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Song of Solomon was written by Song of Solomon. So most of the poetic books fall into this category. One that we have not addressed is the book of Job, which no one is exactly sure when Job happened, but most people think that he was probably a contemporary to Abraham, lived at least around that particular time. So if we're going to drop that one in there, we'll drop it in in the time of the patriarchs. And then again, most of the rest of the poetic books fall into this time and were written by um, David or Solomon. So right now, again, if we make ourselves in the story. We're in the middle of Kings and Chronicles. And we have a united monarchy. We had three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And we, we will see next time the kingdom being split in two and um, what happens, what happens to Solomon's family, who, who is now the kingdom, what are these two kingdoms, and we'll get into, a, uh, we'll get into that next time. 
But again, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope this is helpful to you, just kind of in your individual Bible study and kind of understanding this story, kind of the chronology. Help us understand who, which one's Abraham and David and Saul and Moses and who's who and where they fit and kind of putting all these stories together into one big story. And if you are in Northwest Arkansas, we would love to connect with you in person. You can go to the grovechurch.org slash connect, fill out a form, let us know you're coming or just show up. We'd love to meet you. And if you're not local, you can still go to that website. Let us know that you're listening and you can join us online. We're streaming our second service every week. and We would love to meet with you, connect with you, whether it's in person or online. And again, thanks for joining us, our podcast. Hope you have a great day.